body in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice. Five-star reviews only. Rate and subscribe and to us on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok. Follow us on Instagram and all and Twitter in your, in your social media platform. It's not Mastodon. Maybe we'll get a Mastodon if that ever is a, a thing I feel like I have to care about again. Brendan, a news-heavy episode for us today. The big story for us today, and the, the big thing is just going to be the Denver Nuggets uh, talking a little bit about the the Minnesota Timberwolves, how weird things are going there. We've got some fun some stuff to dive into. Some, 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 some late-season worries, some, some paranoia. It's that weird part of March, I feel like. Yeah, it's like the Ides of March, but for NBA people. But we have some news to get through first. We're going to start with Lonzo Ball, who, uh, as first reported, I believe, by Woj, is going to get a cartilage transplant uh, in his troubling left knee. Obviously, he has not played the season due to that left knee. He's probably going to miss all of next season. There, a Bobby Marks from ESPN, the great cap guy, has pointed out um, he said there's n- there's no benefit now for Chicago to petition the league with regards to a possible Lonzo Ball career-ending injury, which is where I think we are at with this. They would still be responsible for $40-plus million in salary owed. And even if they removed him from the cap, Chicago would not have cap space this summer. Brendan, let's start with the Lonzo side of this first, because there is a Bulls team-building side of this as well that I think we can talk to talk about and get into. I just, on a human level... It is so hard not to empathize with Lonzo Ball. His career could be over. His career has taken such a sharp turn away from what it was headed to. And it does feel like we're being robbed of something with what has happened with him. Yeah, it does. I mean, is there anyone who doesn't? I, I think it, it would be hard not to feel bad for him, you know, especially just considering that he's a player who, you know, I the, the thing that I was really thinking about when when this all came down, especially this last bit of news where, you know, Billy Donovan preseason said that they were going forward as if they weren't going to have Lonzo all year. And I think people obviously were sort of surprised to hear that, but also I think a little bit doubted him. You know, it's like, OK, you're the coach. You, you have to treat the season that way, because if you act as if you're going to have him, you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. But now that's the reality. And when that finally set in and when the Woj News came out it's just crazy to me i think how we think about sure things right like that was kind mm-hmm. of the 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 descriptor that kept circling around in my head is like lonzo ball in that 2017 draft the suns were high up in that draft it had uh, it was thought to be fairly stacked you know josh jackson was in that draft and um that's who the Suns took. There were a lot of players. It was up in the air. We knew the Lakers were probably going to take Lonzo because he's a UCLA guy and there's all that stuff. But Lonzo was like the guy where it's like his ceiling might not be high. He might just be sort of a team player, but you got Fultz, you got Tatum. Those are the sort of lottery picks, the the like lottery ball picks to, to really hit their ceiling. Ball's the guy that's safe. And then now it just sort of proves how uncertain all of that is, how hard team building is how hard franchise building is to a degree why you know it it starts to illustrate why both LA and New Orleans were somewhat okay moving on from this player 
And it's just a bummer that somebody can be everything you want in a basketball player and do everything that they need to improve their game. His shooting has gotten better, all that stuff. And yet, you know, here we are where this this nagging injury, this this one body part is holding back what we all thought was just, you know, the the ideal sort of NBA player. I, I really think you look at this and it, it, this is a guy that could contribute to a title winning team, a really good playoff team. And it's like I there even if he comes back in October of 2024 after two and a half seasons away, what what guarantee, what optimism should the Bulls, should any team have that Lonzo Ball is going to be remotely the same player when he comes back? And it's not like he's old, right? Like you mentioned, the guys you mentioned, you mentioned his draft class. That's like, these guys are still young. They're still like figuring out the beginning of their careers. Lonzo Ball is like, you know, on a second contract, but he's 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Poor, he will not be 26 until next year. Okay. This is a guy who's like not even supposed to be in his prime or, or like, or just getting into his prime. And like, he, this is where we are with him. And it's like what, what his career has just taken just like a path that is just like, and well, I do think that's part of why you might have some optimism, right? Is he's not that old. There is something to be said for rather than, you know, I, I think that there's been times in the NBA where guys have hurt themselves like literally and, and uh, you know, metaphorically with trying to come back too soon. Right. And like that mm-hmm. can be its own problem. So I do think that there's something to be said for if you think more treatment, more, uh, you know, operation and more time not pushing the knee is what will help then I obviously I don't think this is the wrong decision. I think it could help him. I think that he is young enough where he has plenty of years of his like athletic prime, quote unquote, where he could return. And I think the last part is his game is not really predicated on hops or, you know, burst or anything like that. He doesn't really have the ball in his hands a lot. You know, he's, he's really an off ball connector spacer type of player on offense, somebody who can get the ball moving in transition, but isn't really a point guard quote unquote. And then, you know, defensively, you you do maybe wonder if he's going to be able to move and change direction and contain space and all that stuff, which is part of what made him special. But I do think that, you know, maybe it's similar to like a, a, what we saw with Ricky Rubio, right, where he's had some different injuries, but that mm. the, the brain, the the skill, the, you know, IQ, all that stuff is still going to be there. And as long as the jumper can stay where it's been, that's still a, a player that I think will be able to have a career this isn't like derrick rose or something right you never well, know Derek, how it I mean, all how Derek it all rose goes is, but i yeah derrick rose has been in the league like forever even though he's like the, the acl stuff really like robbed him of something yeah but i mean i think he's been a guy where even the seasons he's had it's just plagued with little injuries sure. here and there and somebody where it's like what he does just pushes his body so much that you don't really think he's ever even going to be able to play 70 games let alone you know, 80 or, or a playoff run or anything. So I think Lonzo could be more in that Ricky Rubio type of camp where as long as he's on the court, he can still be productive and he's not going to keep having injuries pro- provided that this one can just heal. I just, how is anyone supposed to say whether that's going to happen right now? Yeah, it's like he has to go from being like, hey, like we don't know if he can walk up the stairs to like playing again. And that is that is like such like a, a big, big thing. The other part of this, I think, is just like, what do the, the Bulls do? Where do the Bulls go from here as a franchise? They are in a really weird spot in part because of this in part because of 
you know, all of the all of the things happening, like what happens with DeRozan, I think is really interesting. You know, Levine has had a really, really good season. He's 28, but has had some some knee issues. Like, what do you what do they do with him? Do, does there is there interest in him from other teams? Do they just keep him and rebuild around him? Like, what does this team do? I think becomes like the next question. And if it's like, Brennan, if I'm them, if I'm facing down this Lonzo thing, I'm facing down where DeMar DeRozan is at. I'm facing down just like the, the, even with the pick stuff. I am praying to to God that the lottery gods bless me with a top four pick and I get to keep my pick in this draft and I get, you know, a Scoot or a or a Miller or like, you know, like a, a Thompson twin or like if you like want to really thank your blessings, like you fall somehow get up to one and you get Wemby and just in just a, a, a moment of chaos from the basketball gods. Yeah. Or I'm tr- and I, but I'm also just like I, I think it is at some point you probably got to just be like, we got to go studs up. We got to get down. We got to just like rip this down to the studs and like try again. I, I don't know what. Well, what the does that mean, is. though? I think it might be trading everybody. And I think that starts with the Rosen. I think that's probably the guy that I think is the most immediate thing. But I could see even if they don't do it in the summer, I could see in a year they're like, OK, maybe we got to do this Levine thing, too. Like, what are, what are we doing here? I don't know if the Levine thing is necessarily what they would be. I don't know if the ball's in their court on that one. Um I'm not sure how desirable Zach Levine, who also has his own history with knee injuries and is on a very big contract that just started and does not really affect the defensive end of the floor and hasn't really necessarily proven that. I I don't think it's fair to say he can't coexist with other talented players because I think he's adapted to having DeRozan and Vucevic pretty well, but I don't think he's somebody who you bring in as he's going to make everybody on this team a lot better on offense. He's going to do his thing. He can play off of players. He's not like a franchise cornerstone offensive uh, piece and he is 28. So, um, you know, you could look at that as a good or a bad. He's not that old, but he's also not that young. He's kind of in the middle. Um, I'm not sure who's going to want Zach Levine on that contract with the uncertainty around his injury either. So I don't know if you can trade him. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder, you know, if the who would want him, who do you think would want him? Well, the the one that comes to mind is in just as like uh, they have to pivot and things get weird is just maybe Philly if if Harden does in fact go to Houston they just need to replace that scoring with something I don't know how that works financially but like that would be one where it's like a, you have to talk yourself into it you know and he's obviously not James Harden he's not close even this version of Harden but like that you have to someone like that is gonna have to talk themselves into it that's why there was Lakers buds with Levine I think it's like they're just like we got to talk ourselves into. To something um, or a star. I think you would need team. a team where, because I I think like the thing is he <laughs> we were joking about this quote uh, that he said I've always been able to defend on the ball I can stop anybody if I have you know the one on one situation I I mean I think most NBA players that's sort of true but like or at least they think I don't it's think true. it's yeah I mean it, like everybody in the NBA has individual possessions over the course of a season where you watch them, you know, put the clamps on somebody. Cause it's like, you're freak athletes and you do this for a living. You probably should be able to do that. But the point is yeah. that simplistic thing doesn't happen very often on defense. If you're not good at the other stuff, there's a limit. I think you just need a, a team where Levine could be fit into what they already are and be sort of protected and insulated with what he's not great at. So some other playmakers on the team, some better defense around him that isn't, you know, Nikola Vucevic, who's already going to be limited as a as a garbage man on the interior defensively. So like the Knicks or, you know, teams like that where they have a little Miami. bit more of a physical identity, Miami, the, the Raptors, those teams that always come up when we talk about players like this, right? 
My, um, Miami, Miami, like what would like how depressing of a trade would it be where it's like Duncan Robinson's salary and like whatever else and you got to cobble together and like picks for Zach Levine. That's what they're looking at. I mean, it's going to be because his he costs so much money. I just I really yeah. don't think they can do it. I really don't think right now, you know, put another good season under his belt of health and production and efficiency and all that stuff. And then, you know, one less year left on that contract. Maybe that helps. I think DeRozan is the more interesting one. So I had Miami, Portland, San Antonio, and Toronto. And the last two obviously would be, would be reunions. Right. Um, But Miami and Portland, as far as, you know, competitive teams, I could see them fitting him in. They seem to like players like this veterans who can, you know, create offense, but I don't know. Again, defensive questions for him. I'm not sure what great team would necessarily want him. Portland, I think, would be fun just because I think like it gives you know him and it takes some of the pressure off Dame. Um, I you know the fit's a little weird because it's like Dame plus Simon plus DeRozan is like a really tricky defensive fit. The Portland one would actually make like a ton of sense. To, or like, excuse me, the the Toronto one would make a ton of sense as a reunion yeah. just because you going back there. They have Siakam, they have Barnes, they have Pirtle. Like they have like these defensive and they have OG at least for now. Like they have the defensive infrastructure to really like allow him to not have to be like put on an island in that way, and you would he would never be in situations where like he's just like got no one behind him, especially as he gets even a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I would not hate that one at all. The Miami one, him and Jimmy, just feels like a little too overlapping to me. You know, I yeah. I don't totally. I think that's a little bit clunky fit. This like why I with the Spur like the Spurs one. I think like if they wanted just like an adult in that franchise to kind of like lead the next generation, I don't think that's a bad idea. But the Toronto mm-hmm. one would make like the, the most basketball sense. I think in a lot of ways. The weird thing about Chicago to me is, and as we're talking about these individual players, did you realize they're fifth defensively in the NBA this season? It's it and like they're still awful and like it's bizarre. It and like if you told me the Bulls had the fifth best defense in March. And they were like, just like up in the play-in race. I'd be like, what? What happened? Yeah, like it's crazy. It's crazy. It's it doesn't mm-hmm. it. They they are one of the weirdest teams in the league to me. And then it's just like I just don't know what to make of them like at all. I I really don't. It's just got. There's a lot of guys I like. I don't. Need, I I do, I like Billy Donovan as a coach for the most part. Yeah. I just. It's just like. What what is going on here, and where is this going? This is this and the Wizards are like like if I had two teams that I just don't really know exactly what the where you're going. It's 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 Chicago and it's Washington for me right now. I think Chicago has a little bit more direction as long as you know the fact the the prob the two problems for them are they don't have their pick this year, obviously, which we talked about. They're the, in well, the top, ten spot right now. Got to yeah, get lucky top four and protected. keep your pick. Yes, the all. With all likelihood, you know, we've never seen a team jump from like 14 to, to four in this flattened out. You know, we've seen like nine to, to two or whatever the John Morant thing was, but pretty would have to be pretty incredible luck. That's bad. I think the other thing is Patrick Williams, Kobe White, these guys haven't really jumped. Um, and so when you talk about like I where I came down brainstorming thinking about this is. You just trade DeRozan and, v- and well, Vucevic is a free agent, which we haven't necessarily said. Um, and so I just think you probably let him walk. I, I don't, I mean, if yeah. you can get a sign and trade, fantastic. I don't know if that's really, uh, why would anyone be trying to help you out there unless a, a good team over the cap wanted Vucevic? Maybe, I don't know. I don't really know who's going to want Vucevic. Just let him walk, it's fine. And then, you know, try to trade DeRozan. Levine, like we talked about, might not have enough value to where the Bulls feel like it's worth it. So you just go into next season with, Levine, maybe you try to get more of a traditional point guard in there. 
I don't know who that is and just try to run out the season. Maybe you still chasing the play in a little bit, but you're not really seriously gunning for anything next year while you wait for Lonzo to, to get back. You wait for some of the salary stuff to even out. The problem with that plan though, is if you don't have a rookie coming in and all of these other guys haven't really developed to a point where you're wanting to like fork over a whole season to shepherd them along. Cause you don't feel that great about their ceiling anyway. Then that's where I tar- start to agree with you that, They have more theoretical young talent than I feel like Washington does, but I don't really know if much of it is going to, you know, pan out for them. So I don't know. You you probably just hope somebody really wants DeRozan and you can get a pretty good package for him, maybe Caruso as well. And then you just ride it out. I don't know. It's, it is a tough spot. It doesn't feel like next season is going to be fun in Chicago regardless. No, uh, tough times. All right. Another, another big news story. Michael Jordan may sell his stake in the Charlotte Hornets to minority investor Glay Plotkin and Hawks minority investor Rick Schnall. This is from a financial perspective, Brendan, I think not super surprising considering Michael Jordan could cash out and make a ton of money. I think he bought the team for something in the 200 million. He's going to make a lot more than that were he to sell this team. Um, here, the, the, thing, the one thing I do think about it that I hope works itself out in some ways that I do think it is important and cool that Michael Jordan, perhaps the greatest player to ever play, unquestionably one of the top two to three most iconic players that has ever played, if not, I think probably the most iconic player considering the shoe side of it, is not going to be like involved in the league in a direct way if this goes through and he doesn't keep like a small stake or something like that. Uh, I it think seems like he will, but even that, then, that's right? good. It's like, but what even does that then, mean? It, it's different, and it's like I I love the idea that like MJ is involved with a team. Like I, it's why like LeBron is an owner. And like these other players, perhaps in the future as owners, like I think it's cool that like maybe in the future, like Steph Curry owns like a small part of the Warriors or something, or Durant maybe buys in it with a team or something, or Giannis, like that, like LeBron, like getting a team feels right to me. Being involved in the NBA and in basketball in a, in a prominent way feels right to me. That's where my that's where my brain went first, but also Michael Jordan, like from a business perspective, is due to make a ton of money if he does this, and it does it does tell a story based on where the money is coming from where the value is at about where the league is at in terms of financially and what kind of owners they're going to have right now. Yeah, I think we can get into that. I'm curious what you feel like, though, that, like, what is the league losing if, if Michael Jordan is not involved? Because I feel like we did see some high-profile instincts or instances where um, Jordan sort of showed the importance that he does have, I think most notably... Um, during you know the George Floyd stuff, uh, Jordan Brand made a big commitment. He was a big driving force in like the social justice council that they formed coming together. Some of those things, you know, he was a big prominent guy at the NBA, NBA seventy five stuff at All Star Weekend in twenty twenty two. I guess I just sort of wonder, like, what is the what is the practical impact Ben of him having a team? Because I feel like if anything, it's almost been a dent in his, in his legacy that the team has oh, been 100%. awful. So like, I, I don't know if it's been a net positive that Michael Jordan was an owner. I think it was cool to say. And I think from the standpoint of race and, and the equity that the players are trying to push for with that, it, he is the only black owner in the league. And I'm sure that will come up. I'm sure LeBron will reference that as he pursues his own ownership down the line. But I don't know if it necessarily is a loss in that way, considering he'll still be around with Jordan Brand, and obviously he'll be invited an open invitation to anything he wants to show up for. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think like the, maybe the most like thing you can tell is that like oh, there's like Jordan related stuff with the Hornets. Like that's probably the most like tangible thing. And like this isn't, this hasn't been a good team. I mean, the high is probably like the Kemba Walker era, right? Like it was. T- I mean, it's there's it hasn't ever been said publicly or maybe reported in full detail about why it happened, but it feels telling that Kenny Atkinson was like backing would backed out of being head coach of the team to some degree. I mean, that can't reflect good or well on the Charlotte Hornets. Like, it just can't. If a coach says, like, I even as bad as it looks for him to some degree, like, that can't look well. I, I think the other part to look at it is just is the black ownership. Like, there is that this is now, like, a vastly majority black league where the owners are white. And that in itself is a complicated thing. And I'm sure that the players, particularly someone like LeBron James or Draymond Green, or these guys that have investment in and have like opinions about some of the stuff on the financial side of it and all of that, like I, I think like rightly have will have some there's some weird feelings about that. I mean, it's not just an NBA thing, that is an NFL thing as well. Like there's not enough like black money, I think, in these leagues. I think that is a, a real thing with the NBA in particular. I'm curious just to see I'm curious to see just what this looks like. And I'm also just curious to see just like, okay, like where does, you know, what does LeBron have to say about this? Especially as he, you know, looks to become an owner. I think that leads us to the, 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 where the money is coming from big picture, because I, I don't have a lot of optimism that the, you know, diversity among owners is going to change at all. Um, And I think that, you know, it's cool to have the story of, the LeBron generation in the NBA, which can include Wade, who's a minority owner in Utah already, or Chris Paul or Steph Curry, whatever these guys who Kevin Durant that have been in the league during the biggest cash influx that it's ever seen and have the empowerment and, uh, you know, power to affect change in the league and be partners as Adam Silver is often called them and all this stuff. LeBron's nowhere close to being wealthy enough to buy the majority stake in any NBA team. Like, I don't think people necessarily understand that. And I think if we look to history with Michael Jordan, that kind of exactly illustrates why, you know, he bought barely a a majority stake in the team back in the early 2000s or whatever it was when he bought the team uh, for what you said about, you know, 200, $300 million. They cobbled together a group for him to get him to 50.1% or whatever, and then everybody else uh, to fill in besides that. You know, the the Matt Ishbia and Justin Ishbia, who just bought into the Suns as the majority uh, owners of this team and that I cover in Phoenix, like they were at almost $2 billion for a majority stake, but they didn't even, mm-hmm. they had to finance that. So even these, you know, moguls in the real estate world or in the mortgage world, sorry, didn't even have enough money. They're actually billionaires, like multi-billionaires, not LeBron getting to 1 billion and, and it being on Forbes, right? Like they are genuinely like hugely wealthy people. And even they had to get financing from here, there and everywhere and put together somewhat of a group themselves. And the, their dad bought some part of it. And like, it's not easy to afford these teams. And so I don't think we're going to see a lot of the Michael Jordan type of thing in the first place uh, anymore. And I don't think that the NBA likes having these big groups because that also makes it unwieldy. Right. Um, I, it seems like that's where they're headed with the, with the Hornets again, which I have questions about. It seems like that's where yep. they'll be headed with LeBron. If he were to buy a team, it just makes well, it, the, can you I, get, you LeBron get more opportunities the, for people to, to screw up. 
right? Like you get more unsavory people in the door and it just makes it, yeah, you you're, you could be in for some problems. The LeBron one I think is a little bit different because it's going to be, I, I assume it's going to be F- Fenway Sports Group, the group he's been involved with. They, mm-hmm. they own the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. They own Liverpool FC. Mm-hmm. The Penguins, who, right? What, they own the Penguins. Like that, that is like a proven group that has like been very analytically friendly that has been like not there i know that they're actually weirdly follow like some red sox people and i know they're not happy with the red sox but they've done like a really really impressive job with liverpool i think most notably Mm -hmm. i can't really speak to to the penguin stuff of it so i i tend to think that like that is a little bit different than just like vcs coming in and stuff like that i think that one is in its own class to me to some degree i wonder though because lebron has been very clear i want to be the owner of the Vegas team. I sure. will be the owner of the Vegas team. I don't think he goes out here saying I'm the owner of Liverpool. So what does it mean? What does that distinction end up meaning in practice? You know what I mean? That's I, fair. I don't, That's fair. I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong because I agree. That's the most obvious way for him to get in, but it's always a little cloudy with those funds of like all of a sudden, you know, one of those groups will invest and it's like, Oh, such and such is like the representative. And you're like, I've never heard of that person's name. They're just one of the nameless faceless people. LeBron's not nameless or faceless, but I don't know if he'll be content to be sort of like this face of something where the money's not his and he just sort of like tends to it and shows up courtside at the games in Vegas every few weeks. Like, I don't know what that'll be, but it 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 begs the question because they did so much to bend over backwards for for Jordan, but that was at a time when it wasn't as lucrative to buy or sell one of these teams and they weren't being traded like assets, which is I think where we're headed a little bit. Like I, I pointed out the, the Milwaukee thing here in our notes. I don't know if people followed this, but in 2014, Mark Lazary bought the team at a valuation of $550 million. We don't know exactly what his stake was. They've always had a weird ownership group where it rotates who's the managing partner and whatever. And I'm sure people are a little bit aware of that part of it. But now he just sold his 25% stake, which has now been public, publicized what it is. It could have been different when he first bought in, but it was 25% now for a valuation that puts that 25% stake at about $875 million. So he bought in nine years ago, and now his quarter stake of the team is as valuable, is more valuable than the whole team was nine years ago. And so I just wonder what happens to kind of the culture of this stuff. The What does it mean to care about a team as a fan? All this stuff when they start to be traded out as if they're stock, you know? Look, yeah, and look, we also just kind of know where the money, the way money's coming in is going to be different. You know, the NBA is allowing foreign investment funds to invest, and we'll see what that looks like. It is not a mistake that they played a preseason game with Giannis and Trey Young in Abu Dhabi, a place that has put a lot of money into the UFC, and like there's a lot of Arab investment in soccer, and the World Cup just went to Qatar because they Qatar spent a lot of money and did some bribing. Um, alleg- alleged, allegedly did some bribing. Should say they go to Paris. That's another place where you're trying to court money. Like they are clear, they are clearly trying to bring in more money from diverse sources. And what that looks like in itself is different, is interesting because like the NBA is not one of these European soccer things where like they can come in and just like pump money into it, and it's like you know you kind of like the the return on investment is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. This is a different structure. And what does that look like for all of that? And I. You know, like what what team is going to be the first team to be like, hey, like we'll sell what owner says I'll sell 10 percent of my team at a high, huge evaluation to get a cash influx in and I get richer. And then does that does that go to the players? Does that go back into the team or does that just 
these people profit? And then what does that look like? I, I think there's a lot of things that are going to change in this and be uncomfortable and and people are going to learn some things going forward. I mean, I don't think we're going to see like with the way the rules are set up where I don't know if we're necessarily Brennan going to see like a Newcastle United takeover in that way, right? Like, I don't know if we will, but do I think like you could see like a, a government that people maybe have some uncomfortable feelings about buying an, a stake in the NBA team in the next 10 years? Probably. So what is the distinction you're making? Just that it won't be a majority ownership by a foreign investment fund or that they won't? It it doesn't just feel like you're going to get like a full majority like takeover kind of thing in the same way because the control is just going to it's different. And maybe I'm wrong, but like I don't know if they're The NBA is in a position is going to be like, yeah, like Saudi Arabia can function by a team through like their public wealth. So you just think it's going to be these little like five to 10 percent chunks more likely. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's. I mean, we've already seen that with, you know, the, a recent a, change that like, the league made that, that, w- well, that like didn't a t- get a lot a, of it. A team is going to have like a Vizu Abu Dhabi like jersey patch and like a 10% from like Abu Dhabi or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what I was going to say is like, we've already seen that with venture capital firms and, and funds and being able crypto. to. Well, for jersey patches, yes. But I mean, like the and, Suns and had. The arena, a, and the arena in Miami that no longer is yes. named. The Suns yeah. had, the Suns and Hawks, and I think a couple have had dial capital uh, this venture capital fund buy into their team. The Suns actually had theirs buy in during COVID, and then when they so when Robert Sarver had to sell the team, that fund actually already got rid of their stake. So they only owned a, a portion of the Suns for like two years, and they made a ton of money off of it. So you're already seeing those bits and pieces from uh, national, like within the U.S funds that are just treating this as as a as a banking opportunity and, and you're, you're probably going to start to see that money come from places that people are not as as uh, optimistic and feel as savory about but uh yeah it's hard to know where it will go but i do think it's fair to say change is is coming and it will be weird i think that we're going to see it in the actual physical you know stuff that we see and care about and watch and and like about the league it's not just going to be behind the scenes yeah Anything else you want to say about MJ or or the money side of this? No, I hope that I hope people go back to liking Michael Jordan. That would be nice because I don't really understand why the the Zoomers had to make him a joke. Like he's very very good player. Very seems like a, a very cool guy. I don't understand where the like making him everything he does into a meme and and like hating on him all the time came from like it's sure. fun to do that but like i don't know let's let's cut that out i think i mean yeah uh i also i i will say if anyone has never read it not that this writer like needs publicity but like Wright thompson's michael jordan feature is one of the greatest pieces of sports writing ever written in like if you want to understand him i think read that story mm-hmm. i have that also in the read Wright his Thompson pat riley collection. feature yeah that, that just read Wright thompson just read Wright yeah. thompson it's a good rule of thumb it's a good rule of thumb seems uh i even i read his book about whiskey and i'm not even like a whiskey guy I told you something. I read Pappy. I read Pappy Land. All right, uh, Brendan, let's move on to our big topic of the day. Late season worries starring the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Denver Nuggets, two West teams. Let's start with the Wolves. This starts with two bits of injury news. Number one, Anthony Edwards. He was he injures his ankle over the weekend. He's in a walking boot at the game. He's now considered day to day, according to Shams. Did you see uh, that video? That was a that was he, a nasty I was, turn. I was watching the game. Uh, this was the same night as Cavs Wizards, which was not an important basketball game, and was quite literally like a bizarre game that like didn't learn anything from. So like the person I was sitting with in press row had on 
we put the Purdue FDU game up on the TV and press row. And I put on the Wolves game on my laptop because I, I was like, all right, I'm going to watch Ant cook. And then he got hurt like within five minutes of me turning on the game. So like, maybe it's my fault. Um, good that he avoided big injury. He has obviously had like a really breakout season, made an all-star team was really weirdly. We've kind of, he like really moved out of that really weird phase to start his season. Do you remember like how he like, was just kind of like disinterested to start the year and like, wasn't playing that well. And then he like really revved it up after a certain point. I don't know what switch there. When uh, but like when Cat said that he needed to stop eating Cheetos, yeah, probably that. Just took it personally. Um, he's a little hit, like he's a LeBron meme, but it's like old, like of LeBron like with the the eyes rolling in the back of his head for competition. But it's like Cat telling him to eat healthier. Just like got really pissed off about that. Like there was a game in Cleveland where like he was so disengaged that like late in the game when it was a close game that the Wolves won. The Cavs put Isaac Okoro, their like lead kind of defender in those spots, like onto D'Angelo Russell and let Ant just stand in the corner. And I was like, yeah, what are we doing here? Stuff. But he's ended, he's ended up being awesome. That's the big win. The weird part of this is the Carl Anthony Towns part of this. So the team put out a statement that he's continuing to progress in his rehabilitation program and has been participating in basketball activities. He's expected to return in the coming weeks and further updates to his playing status will be provided when available. Brendan, there are like three weeks left in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, is, what does this mean? What is going on here? Uh, he has not played since November 28th, just to, uh, to give people some perspective. And I feel like I, I didn't go back and find the exact uh, language when he first went out, but it was never supposed to be four months in the first place. So... Even this update being cloudy about where it will be from here, that even is extra. But it was never even Mm -hmm. supposed to be this long to begin with. And I don't know what to make of a lot of the aspects of this. this. I think we could just talk about Minnesota as a team a little bit to try to understand our way into this, uh, potentially. Because they, they, they lose the foul and rebounding game basically every night. They basically had no bench because of not only Towns' injury, but also Jordan McLaughlin, who, like, I know, LOL, we're, we're talking about Jordan McLaughlin as a, as a major thing, but he was there. He, he's actually closed their game six last year against the Grizzlies because D'Angelo Russell was playing so poorly. So this is an important part of their team. He was also out a lot of the year. And so they basically have you know, a makeshift rotation. They're playing Luca Garza and these, these two way <laughs> players a lot of the time. And Luka they just Garza have no has like ball absurd advanced stats. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, no, they, they, they don't have much. Bizarre. Right. And so, and no. so that sucks. That's probably, that's why they're 500 despite Anthony Edwards being an iron man and, and really upping his game and, and kind of making the breakout that we all knew was coming, but, but it's cool to see on the other hand, Chris towns Ant, and Gobert lineups are plus 1.3 points per 100 possessions on the season. Not amazing, but good. Considering mm-hmm. they only had like a month together. You know, they weren't even really playing yeah. with a lot of chemistry and everybody was making it out to be a hilarious joke, pathetic, you know, a mockery of a franchise. And you look at the stats, not that awful, right? With those three on the court. So I, part of me feels like if they could just get Cat back by the playoffs and Ant back by the playoffs, I still might pick them to come out of the play-in because I think that they are a, they have a good top seven is what I'll say. And I think they have more talent than a lot of the teams that are they're going to be going up against in that range. Sure. 
I think the other part of this though is that they have to reintroduce reintroduce Cat and like there's a rhythm to that that is like that was clearly tricky at the beginning of the year. Him and Gobert was going to take a lot of time obviously and it didn't fully work. His de- the way he had to play defense totally changed from what they asked him to do last yeah, year that was and ugly. that was an adjustment. That was really ugly. You have to just reintegrate him into everything on the fly and like that in itself I I don't think that's like a lock to be smooth and easy. I expect it's not going to be smooth and easy. There's no way like just that's going to be a simple. Towns is great, like at shooting. Like I, I am not the biggest believer in Towns as like a guy that like I would trade a lot of picks for, or like he's he's gonna he has his big contract. Like I'm, I'm not like the biggest Carl believer at at this point based on what we've seen. That that is also Ant's team. But it's like you have to if you're gonna bring him back and integrate him and all of this stuff. Like I think it's just not going to be like the cleanest thing in the world. And it's like I trust like. The Warriors are the, the the top team in the play in right now. We'll see if they, you know, maybe leapfrog in. But like, you know, if the Lakers get in there, if the Thunder get in there, if it's the Mavs, like the, the, there's not it's not to be like a lock they get out of that. Even like just if LeBron and AD and like the way that the Lakers have played of late, I, I would kind of feel better about the Lakers right now. I trust the Thunder's cohesion and Shea more than I do like anything going on with the Timberwolves right now. I Luke Luca and Kyrie oh, if they're both healthy. I think that's a stretch. Uh to say I, that the that the Thunder with a bunch of rookies in like every part of their rotation that you trust that the, more. But it, it's just because the you Wolves have to almost won their first round series last year. I know. I know, but it's just it's the reintegration of Cat with Gobert and everything else going on. Like there's a whole rhythm that has to get refigured out with Cat. I have a stat. And, so I, I'm checking myself in real time and it'll support your point. So Okay. I looked up because I was like, huh, Anthony Edwards pl- on off. He, the, the Wolves are almost six points better per 100 possessions when he's out there. Just purely just him on or off. So then I'm like, okay. Townsend Gobert a little more at like neutral, like just sort of zero, no difference when they're on or off. So I was like, wait a second. The stat that I pulled might have been weighed out by Anthony Edwards a lot more than anything else. So I went in and I did cat on, Gobert on, ant off. Would you like to hear how ugly yeah, this is? Yeah, of course. Hit me. Okay. Hit me. Minus 32.4 points per 100 possessions. Now, it's very rare that those two guys are on the court without uh, without Ant. It's only 59 total possessions. But, yeah, I think it's fair to say that those guys integrating. But let me put this to you. What if, because they don't have that time, Chris Finch, the head coach, just looks at it and says, I'm pretty much going to stagger them always. And like they might play the first four minutes of the half together, and then maybe they play the last four minutes of the game together, but that's it. I, I just, I, I still I, don't think just, they can beat Oklahoma City. Wow. I think they, I'm not saying I think they, they can't beat Oklahoma City. I'm just saying I don't know if it's like they're like the third or the fourth team I would feel good about in the play in. Okay. Well, they're definitely behind really, the Warriors, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's well, like, obvious. But, so then what? How yeah. do you feel? How, how do you feel about them vis-a-vis the Mavs? Well, the Mavs are in six right now, but if they slipped, I would say I just don't know if they have, um, especially an answer for Kyrie. I, I don't really know. Mike Conley is not not exactly going to do that. Is Ant going to be able to do? You know, is it really going to be the showcase two-way forty-eight minute killer? moment for Ant. He was awesome in the play in last year. I just want to remind yeah. people. But yeah, I don't great. know if you can ask him to do that, especially coming off of an ankle. So Yeah. Where yeah, where are know. you where are you but okay, just broadly, where are you at on Towns? 
I, I think that they, it, it's hard because I think from a standpoint of looking at what happened last year, and even if you, if we all were on the same page coming off of that playoff run, that the team is ants, right? Like whatever that means, he's going to be the best player on the team. I don't know about leadership and culture and blah, blah, blah. He's the best guy, right? I you mean, I think Mike it, Conley is probably like the, the culture like that. They go get Mike Conley to be like, sure. Hey, like pass Kyle the ball. Anderson. Right. Yeah. Like, like those, those are the, those are the leaders of that team right now. Like in like, like, I don't know if the Mike Conley thing was like the a massive needle mover, but I get why they are like, Hey, we'd rather have Mike Conley than D'Lo as a point guard for this team. I yeah. Get Cause it. they're also going to have to pay D'Lo and whatever. Right. So I think yeah. we all came across that feeling the same way. And I think it was fair to say beyond that, if it's Ant's team, if we have some questions about towns to even maybe be like a number two in a traditional way, we need something. But as much as we can all clown Cat for the limitations, the way that he was fouling in the first round last year, not being able to grab rebounds without loose ball fouls, some of the weird stuff that was going on there, bad shot selection, whatever, the basketball IQ stuff that became almost a meme after that series. Mm -hmm. I think it did a big discredit to him to say, all right, our big move is going to be another center. Like I know that the the trade itself has been mocked a lot, but because Cat has missed the year, it feels like the the kind of lingering memory is almost to pile on Cat more that he wasn't able to adapt. And it's like, I'm not sure many front offices would have looked at, okay, Cat has some limitations. We don't know about our future. How do we fix that? Well, let's get another player at his position. Like that, I, and so it just makes it hard for me to necessarily evaluate him separate and apart from all the rest of it. I honestly would have been fine with them coming into this season mostly the same. You know, and just see if McDaniels, Vanderbilt, those guys could just have gotten better and helped you. And and maybe you just roll it out. Ant gets a lot better. You see what happens with Russell. Maybe you still end up trading him for someone like Conley anyway. But like, I think that team would have made more sense. And so I would have been able to judge everybody a little bit better. I just don't know what to do with Cap, but he's making a ton of money. So you don't really have the luxury of saying, ah, who knows? You got to make a decision. Yeah, I I think he should just like run it back off of last year and like you know the slow mo signing I think made a ton of sense. They like just changed yeah, everything awesome. he needed to do. To, he's he's a connector that like I think a lot of good teams would like. And like in the summer, like in like a Cavs perspective, I was like, hey, you know, it doesn't shoot it well enough. And like, is that exactly what you want? Is like your kind of three? And now I'm like, oh, like you watch him play and you're kind of reminded, oh, like he overcomes like the lack of being like a plus plus shooter, which is everything else. He does the king of floaters. Zach Lowe wrote about that really well this week, that he's just the, the absolute king of floaters in the league. I think if they put Carl in a tough spot by asking him to change everything they asked him to do defensively last year when he's already not a good defender. Yeah. Yeah, like I and watched I, them early I, I in the season and he's chasing Cam Johnson around. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, what, yeah. That, no, who yeah, like, who I, thought that would ever work? Apparently Tim Conley. Well, it didn't. Gave so, up way too many. Like the, the, it, this, yeah, I don't. I think the I'm problem little, is that you can't trade Gobert. It would be no, embarrassing. You're stuck with Gobert. You're it stuck would with be Gobert. humiliating. It would. Your value you're is not, not anything, right? So what? Like, you can't recoup the value on Gobert by any stretch of the imagination. You just and so can't. you have to. If you're making any move, it has to be Towns. You're not trading Ant. No one really, I mean, Conley, whatever, there's not really much to do there. And, and McDaniels, I, they would be, they, they should want to keep, right? So it's like, it's gotta be, you towns. don't have any moves left unless you just say whatever we've had. This was somewhat of a lost season because towns missed so much of it. And then, you know, they kind of just roll it back la- uh, next year again. 
uh, with this, but I don't know if this front office is patient enough. They never have been. So I think may, at the very least, does the head coach get fired? Does whatever. I mean, I, I think they could come out of the play-in. I, I think we're maybe a little bit different on that, but it could happen, right? We both agree. They're not beating Denver. They're not beating, no. Um, no, you know, no. even, even Sacramento. I don't think they're winning that series. I don't think they're beating Memphis, right? So it's like they're not getting out of the first round. And I think that if after you make the Gobert trade, that's a pretty big disappointment. So they're, they're going to have to look themselves in the mirror in, in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know what else there is to do besides trading towns. All right. So you have a little sidebar on the Wolves. I'm going to let you yes, uh, let's go. run this out here. I have two history lessons on both of our of our featured teams today. So one is the Jimmy Butler trade, which actually intersects with uh, the Lonzo thing we started with a little bit as well, because it includes the Bulls and it obviously includes the 2017 draft, which Lonzo was drafted in, not to the Bulls, but he was in there because uh, that was the night that the Bulls traded Butler to Minnesota. So originally, Chris, the, the Wolves got Butler and Justin Patton, who was actually eventually traded to the Sixers with Butler, too, which was kind of funny. The Bulls got Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and Larry Markkinen. Now, at face value, that's incredible now that we know what Larry Markkinen has become, but obviously they never got that value for him. All that the Bulls ended up trading Markkinen for to Cleveland was a Portland first-rounder that is lottery-protected that they may not even uh, get much out of it when it's all said and done. I'm not sure when Portland is going to make the playoffs next personally. So we'll see. Um, Maybe next year if they get DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, there you go. It's coming full circle guys. The show has structure. Um, Minnesota later traded Butler to Philadelphia for Dario Saric, Robert Covington and Jared Bayless. Then the Wolves traded Saric for Jarrett Culver and Covington for Jared Vanderbilt and Jalen Jaden McDaniels. All right. So if we look at it in some, are you following me? The Wolves yeah, <laughs> received yeah. Jarrett Culver, Jer- Jared Vanderbilt, and Jaden McDaniels. The Bulls received Zach Levine and a lottery-protected Portland first-round pick. We kind of know where these teams have, have, have gone since, so maybe that colors how you feel about it, Chris. But I think this was a pretty nice win-win trade when it was all said and done, and I might lean Wolves, actually, the the wolves should just be really kicking themselves. The the wolves messed up the draft is the thing with the culver pick. That's yeah. where this goes wrong. And yeah. like there's 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 reporting but that, that was they good wanted. value back then too. You almost can't really fault it. They just didn't develop him. But culver was like almost a a steal at six. People thought he might go higher that season. Yeah, and like there's reporting that they that that current Minnesota regime wanted Darius Garland. And I just think about Darius and Ant, and I'm just like, yeah, that would have been that would have been good. That would have been well, and the good, good thing, like the other part of the Minnesota side is right. They also got a playoff appearance out of it and they broke their, uh, their, yeah. their curse when, after KG left, they made the playoffs that one year with Butler and with cat. And they were actually like a, a 50 plus win pace for a lot of that season. That was like the best season in recent franchise history. So you have to factor that in too, that the actual time Butler was there, it worked out. Yeah. Uh, so who won? Who do you think won? Probably the Wolves, but like only because like only because like they just, you know, they're in a little better. They're in a better spot right now, I think, is I think yeah. like why. And like it's not but like you look at the ultimate returns and it's like Levine's probably the best play, is, is the best player of those four. And they get a pick, but the Wolves like have ants and like which isn't like a result of this trade, but like the process like gets them ant to some kind degree. of was because they ended up sucking bad enough to get him. I mean, I don't know how you 
I don't know how far you yeah. want to go down the, the rabbit hole of, of why things happened, but yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting I, one. Cause it just has so many layers. You could even go one deeper and say, okay, well, Vanderbilt ended up be, becoming part of the Gobert trade. So then it's like, I don't yeah. think they, they didn't get Gobert for Vanderbilt, but it helped. Yeah. And so then Gobert gets into involved. In it, yeah. It's funny. Just would also just funny to think that this team might have just been better off with like Walker Kessler, like uh, with Walker Kessler. And, uh, wow, the and, Gobert trade. I think we Carl. don't have to think too hard on. I think the Wolves were served a, a mighty yeah, L right. in that one. They messed up. Uh, Jimmy and I, I, Jimmy and Ant on the same team. All like now, obviously not really in the cards if you have Jimmy on your team. But like would have been. I would have liked those two in the same team. I feel like that would have been like a good, good uh, buddy comedy. I think they would have gotten along splendidly. I think. Um, yeah, the Jimmy destination that really is the the missed opportunity is is Philly, but you know, yeah, that's, that's been well fact, hashed I mean, out. We don't. Uh, jo- Joel Embiid talks about it and is like, "I wish we still had Jimmy," and it's like, "Huh, okay, yeah, fair, yeah. okay." Made, made the wrong Main call la- on that one. Yes. All right. Uh, all right. Last team we're going to talk about today: the Denver Nuggets. Oh boy, Brendan. So, lost four or five. Including and like barely beat the freaking Pistons, just lost to the Knicks. Yeah, I am of two minds about this. I am not full doomsday because I am not super surprised that the renewed concern over their defense is here. This is always going to be Denver's weakness. This is always going to be the thing that would be how they didn't win, right? Even when a couple weeks ago when we talked about them vis the Suns, it's like oh, like the Suns can like pick on their defense in this certain way and all of that stuff. So it's not surprising to me in this long 82-game season that this is popping up. But I'm also just looking at this recent run, and it's bad. Their depth feels really creaky at the moment. They probably just need to keep playing Christian Brown like a lot and just be like, hey, this guy's good. Let's just play him. And Jamal Murray does not look totally right. And they, they're not a title contender unless Murray's right. So Harrison Wind over at DNVR wrote this um, in his story the other day. I'm going to just read it. Shouts to DNVR. Shouts to Adam Adis. Quote, it was the Nuggets' four straight loss and Murray's four straight underwhelming outing. He's averaging 16.3 points per game on 31.5% shooting from the floor and 25.7% from three in this current four-game slide. During the losing streak, the Nuggets have reverted to the same dispiriting defense that they played to start the season. No surprise, but Denver's is the worst defense, is the NBA's worst defense across these last four games. It's pretty bad. And I think if this this gives you some pause about them going into playoffs, I do not think that's unreasonable by any stretch of the imagination. So those are two different things. What do you think is the bigger problem between the defense and Murray? Uh, Murray. 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 The defense that was like already a problem. But like I was like, I could see a world where they like are good enough defensively and patch it together and Murray is a bigger deal and like it's just ascending and, and looks right and looks like the best version of himself, Bubble Murray. And that's their path to winning a title. If Murray's not right, this team can't win a title. Yeah, sure. I think that's that, that's undeniable. I so I watched uh, the Knicks. Well, I watched the second half of the Knicks game, and I watched all of the Raptors game. Um, and that's those are the only ones I've seen. So I'm I'm only speaking from from that vantage point. Um, but even then, like kind of looking into the box scores a little bit. Brown, who I agree, you know, Adam Mares and, and Zach Lowe talked about Brown on their show, talking about the Nuggets this week. And uh, we'll try to provide some analysis better than what they said. I have another little history lesson that I think isn't getting enough attention, but they spoke to it, I think, uh, pretty pretty darn well. But since then, since they talked, um, Brown is was minus 13 against the Knicks. 
and minus 12 in the plus minus against the Raptors. Sure. The two games that I watched. Um, and so I'm probably a little more sour on him than, than I should be. He's they're minus 11.3 per 100 possessions with him on the court over the course of the whole season. So the stats don't show that when he's on the court, it's, it's, it's a big boon. Obviously we know it's asking a lot to have a rookie who hasn't gotten consistent run be your savior in March when you're trying to win a championship. And I think that they've really done themselves a disservice by waiting so long. I don't understand what it, why, why it was so hard to see that this would become a need. Like I even watched this team and some of it's just flat out size, being able to take up space defensively. You just see them get put into bad positions like the Raptors, right? Mm-hmm. The Raptors weren't really doing the trip, the, the typical, how you burn Denver's defense, blah, blah, blah. Like, Oh, you're going to, you know, take the, the pull-up jumpers when Jokic drops. You're going to, you know, move the ball and attack the basket when he shows on the pick and roll and make Eric, uh, Eric Gordon, Aaron Gordon be the helper or, or MPJ be the helper. And they're not really equipped to do that. There's all these, these obvious highlight, you know, posterization moments that we can point to with that stuff. That really wasn't what it was. The Raptors were just bigger at every position. Easy post yeah. up, easy ISO, dump it into Pirtle. And, and just, you know, hammer the paint, run in transition, and they're going to finish over the top of you. Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi had sick dunks in that game. And that was all it really was. It really wasn't, you know, Fred Van Vliet. He did make a lot of jumpers, but that, that to me didn't feel like the difference. So what did we think was going to be the, the end-all be-all? Like, I even watched Jeff Green out there, and I'm like, oh, they, re- they really look a lot better. And I'm not even sure they do, but he's just 6'9". So it just feels better mm-hmm. to me, you know? So... I don't understand why they waited so long. I don't feel like you can count on Brown to come around in a month and suddenly be a real big difference maker. I'm not saying he won't, but I don't think counting on that is smart. And so I don't know what the bigger problem is. I think it has to be Murray just from a, a general, you know, obvious standpoint of what you said. If, if he's not right, they're not there themselves. But I also am not super worried about it. He's just missing shots. When you watch him, it doesn't feel like he's, he's actively withholding, you know, athleticism or energy because he's hurt. Like I don't watch him feeling like, oh, he's hobbling out there. It, it doesn't feel that way. So I guess that just feels fixable, whereas the defense and some of the size problems and some of the lineup stuff feels less fixable. I just don't think he totally looks right physically. Why? I don't what, think like, you, what is I, what are you seeing just, out there? Because I'm also I, watching them and I don't feel like I see it. You read the stuff locally and you just read how he looks. I just don't think he looks he's like has like exact same the same bounce, the same like energy level that he maybe had when he was playing his best this season. And just like, that's a little thing. And like, maybe it's wrong. It just doesn't feel like he is like exactly playing the best. Like he looks exactly like he has the same bounce and energy. And like, the, it's like the other knees bothering him. It just doesn't seem like he's a hundred percent right physically to me. Well, let me put, let me, let me throw this out there. Cause I just don't fully understand the whole idea behind, <laughs> behind this concern with him. Like, um, he, I just, I'm, it's like, because you read, like the Denver, you read Mike Singer at the Denver Post and you read like Matt Moore's tweets, and you read the DNVR and it's just like the, the one of the through lines is that Murray just doesn't seem exactly right physically. That's where this is coming from, honestly. But can't they be wrong? I mean, just because they, I mean, I don't know. Like I watched this, 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 uh, this Raptors game. He played 40 minutes. He was five of 18 from the field. I'm not saying he that he wasn't, obviously, good. He, he wasn't good. Yeah, he wasn't. He good. was not good. And I, and I totally get that. And obviously injuries play a part in missing shots, but he played 40 minutes. 
I counted one shot where he did not get any lift on his jumper. It was at the end of the third quarter, and Michael Malone checked him out right after that because he was obviously overexerted. 40 minutes for a guy who's dealing with a knee. He played 41 against the Clippers on February 26th. I'm, I'm more than willing to say that coming back from a long absence and playing heavy minutes and doing the level of stuff he has to do for them is affecting him. I'm not saying it's not affecting him, but what I'm saying is I don't necessarily watch him and feel like he's a big physical risk, like he's going to re-injure the knee or he's in a substantial amount of pain. It might just be discomfort, conditioning, the same stuff that happens to every player. We were talking about this with Clay Thompson last year, and then he comes back in the playoffs, looks incredible. I just don't feel like it's a long-term concern. I just feel like he's in a physical, mental, whatever, just a slump, and those happen. That's where I'm at with him. It just feels like it's coming at the worst time at the end of a long season, and I don't know what I'm supposed to to do with that, right? And if you're the Nuggets, what are you supposed to do with that? It's not just like one knee either. It's like it's both knees have been bothering him. It's You have right knee inflammation, you have left knee soreness. Like... Mm -hmm. Mike Singer has a story up about this uh, at the Denver Post that I would that came out like I think early Sunday that people can go read. Um, and it's it's good and worth worth looking at. But it's like if if the, is this going to nag him throughout the playoffs when he's going to need to play 35, 40 minutes a game? Probably like, is that like and like what is that? And how much more does that put on Jokic, who's already doing so much for them, right? And like is Michael Porter Jr. going to be able to step up in the way they need? And do they have someone else offensively? who can step up the way they need. Um, yeah, Murray's so fascinating to me because I wonder how you feel about it. This is something I wanted to talk about when we had Adam on, but we talk a lot about what it would mean for Jokic to be the best player on a championship team just because he's won MVP and he's thought of as one of the best players in the NBA, uh, which I would be curious where you sort of have him in your you know back of your hand uh, list, back of the napkin list on, on best players in the league because I, I think that's kind of a fun conversation too. But Murray... In the like, I think the only comp I've ever been able to think of him f- of for him as a number two on a title team in the NBA would be Kyrie Irving. But I don't think yeah. anyone thinks that Kyrie, uh, that that Murray is quite as good as the best version of Kyrie, right? I mean, he's he's close, but he's he's not so. That's per- that would be an, an a, another unprecedented thing about this Nuggets team is to have a player who isn't much of a a playmaker, you know, and he's not an elite playmaker. He's an elite scorer, an elite pull-up jump shooter, very versatile offensive player, does a lot of things very well. I think he has good size. He can post up, um, but doesn't do much in the way of of locking people down defensively. He's not somebody you're going to throw on that. And he doesn't really create for his teammates at that highest level because he doesn't have to, right? Because Jokic does that. That's just a very different type of player to be the number two on the the champion of a season than we've ever really seen before. The Kyrie thing is the right cop because it's like, Hey, you're a scoring guard who doesn't need to handle who we can like theoretically like stagger lineups with and doesn't need to handle the, the big playmaking burden. And like, it's interesting that like, like they keep, and that was the version of Murray you saw in the bubble, right? Like that's the, the Murray we saw in the bubble. Like think about all the scoring and crazy nights he had in the bubble. And then it's just not been exactly the same sense. And it's just like, he, he kind of has to be the guy because, like, I trust him to hold up defensively more than I do, like, Michael Porter Jr. As, as electric as a shooter as MPJ can be, he is just, like, an awful defender. He's awful at defense. And he's going to, like, get lost. are different, though, right? I think they're both I know fine they're as different. team I know defenders. They're... So it's really yeah. just about what are they going to do as help guys? What are they going to do when they do get ISOed on? 
Right. I think and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how different they I, really are. I don't think Murray's stopping many people either, to be honest with you. I don't think I don't think he's stopping people, but I trust him to like recover a little bit better and like be a little more aware than I would MPJ. And MPJ's on the wing. And and being on the wing, depending on who you play, like if you get the Clippers, you get the Suns. You can't tell me the Suns aren't going to like do a bunch of st- they're going to organize stuff so Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are running screen and they already did that in that series him. you referenced a minute ago. They they absolutely exactly. tore Michael Porter Jr. apart, but he's a lot better than he was as a team defender than it is sure. just ISO. Let, let, let me put it this, this way to you. I know you were making a different point, but I think it's interesting. No, it's okay. Who are they going to ISO if, if Kawhi in the last five minutes of a game ends up playing the Denver Nuggets and he is just trying to get a, mat, a mismatch that he can attack, who are they going to, who are they, who's he going to go after between those two guys? Because I think it's one of those two or Jokic, I guess, but. I mean, it could be any of them is the thing. I mean, honestly. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's and I think part, that's the that's point I was the making. Problem. They're kind of the same, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're neither one of them you feel good about. So we'll see, but. Yeah. Um, I. This recent stretch maybe also just like puts a real funk in your mouth with what's going on here. And like it's they can still win the title. They're still gonna be the one seed, right? Like it is highly unlikely they don't get they don't keep the one seed in the West, which is an advantage and like they'll have a really good home court. Like they'll get like I mean, I would pick them against the Timberwolves in round one, let's say, right? Like I I think you would. I mean, you pick them against the Lakers, all things considered too, I think. What if it ends up being the but, Warriors? That's just like so. That's just spicy. I mean, even the Lakers, even the Lakers, but but even the Lakers is like spicy. It just I don't because think like it is. I, but I mean, from like a like a bigness perspective, like the scope yeah. is on you. When we that, sure. that's more what I mean. Like I don't think it's Jared the same Vanderbilt danger, but it's like series you got that in there. I mean, you can't tell me LeBron's not gonna do some stuff on that. You know, like it's just like oh yeah, it wouldn't be easy. But I I still think I would pick Denver. I just don't yeah like. It, it, we talked about it with the the wolves this whole like can it or even the suns right can they get it figured out with five games left in the season the lakers are going to have to do that lebron has barely played with these new guys so i i wouldn't be terrified of of the lakers by any means but i get what you're saying it, it would not be a fun way to to have to deal with the first round matchup considering you might have that ailing version of murray right yeah and like i just I think like the the vibe on them right now is just like it's you're not like in the way that like other teams in the West are like heading in like are heading in directions you'd feel kind of better about to some degree and the West feels kind of wide open. It's just this is just like making me raise an eyebrow again. Like I have a future on them as like a title winner. <laughs> like I like I do and like it was I got it at plus eight hundred. It's good value. It's just like I it just something feels a little wobbly so, here. BetMGM now has, despite Kevin Durant's injury, the Suns ahead of the Nuggets for both winning the championship and winning the West. That's not like even unreasonable is the thing. Because like, I just think the Suns are probably going to be fine as much as it's going to take them maybe like a round to fully integrate everything. But what's crazy is that's a direct byproduct of this slump that the Nuggets are in. Yeah. Because, and it might just be action, right? It might not even be the books feeling a certain way. It's just what people are, are betting on, right? But like, I feel it's funny to me that in the immediate aftermath of the Durant trade, when people were in a frenzy about the Suns, absolute high of anybody's hopes and dreams because it just was new and cool, Denver was still ahead of them in most books' odds. And now just four, you know, four losses in five games, all of a sudden, uh, it's a nightmare. Um, you mentioned the bubble. You mentioned um, some of their, their past history. I don't. I, I want to be careful how I phrase this, Chris. But the last little point we can talk about with Denver, I think, they can absolutely still win the title this season. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. 
and they're still their identity is not different, which I think you've been pointing out as we've been having this conversation. Like any of the worries we have, we knew Jamal Murray was coming off an ACL. We knew their defense was suspect on October 1st. This is not like a revelation about their team. Nothing is in March. We're not learning new things about teams. We're just seeing how it plays out. But I do think it's fair to wonder, not if they miss their window, which is a dumb phrase, because if you have great players, your window's always open. Did we think Steph's window was going to be a decade? I don't think so. Now here he is. He won a fourth title, right? So you have Jokic, you have great players around him. Your your window's always going to open. Was it their best window around the time of, of, of the bubble? Because I just want to remind you and people listening, <laughs> whatever, of what they had on this roster at previous points of this Jokic era. That bubble season, they have Paul Millsap, who's like the tail end of his prime, and Jeremy Grant in the starting lineup. They have Monte Morris, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr., Torrey Craig, and Bull Bull off the bench. Bull Bull, who they had for a while and just never really used. He dealt with injuries and stuff too, but they never really touched him. They also had, at the beginning of that season, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt on their team, who they traded for basically cap relief and a pick that became Zeke Naji. Awful, uh, awful trade. Um, and then 2021, at the deadline, we all know, they get Aaron Gordon. Smart trade, didn't cost them a ton. They had Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, which I think people forget. He was hurt by the time the playoffs roll around, as was everybody. Still have mm-hmm. Bull Bull, still have Monte Morris, still have Will Barton all coming off the bench. Most of those players were healthy come playoff time. I would say both of those rosters would not have been going into the playoffs thinking if Christian Brown can just X, we'll be fine. Those were deep rosters. Those were, were more balanced offense and defense, I think, rosters. Even like how much would the Nuggets kill to have Torrey Craig right now, who's not even like an awesome, oh, yeah. amazing role player, but just a body who's big, who can you know make plays, play smart defense. They would kill for that, and they don't even have that. It's, uh, it's weird how this stuff changes when your best players get more expensive and time just kind of goes by. The injuries screwed them, and now they're stuck with the best Jokic season I think they've had, potentially on offense at least, but a bunch of question marks around it because they just didn't get it when they really had the most talent that they could have had. Yeah, and I, I think this is a reminder that if you feel like you have a window, and I understand like luxury tax stuff and, and all this and like rich people problems, but like just like keep as many of the good players as you can. Like, honestly, like, whatever you got to do, like, patch together depth, give yourself optionality, give yourself, like, needing to bank on the Bruce Brown thing hitting exactly right when it probably hasn't to the degree they want. Like, you know, like, Reggie Jackson's not really making it back for them. Both of the guys they got at the deadline at slash buyout are basically not going to play in the playoffs. Bryant and and Jackson's already getting DNPs. So what, like, what, and, like, my take on, like, his fit just looks, like, awful, so that's bad. But, like, what, what are... That like, what are you supposed to do? And it's like your depth is like you're like we've talked about this. Play of depth can be tricky. You're not always going to touch all that stuff. Like, it's just it puts yeah, you in run the up. spot where you're just like, and you like you're you're hoping Christian Brown is like ready for this. They run up against LeBron in that bubble, right? And and it just becomes mm-hmm. very clear that despite Millsap, Grant, and Tory Craig being on the team, they're not going to put up a fight against LeBron. Um, so you know it. Some of it's matchup based. They were healthy that season and they didn't have Gordon yet, but they had other stuff at that four spot. Grant's a great player. And then uh, like, so, okay, you you run up against it on the wrong side. And I know I'm making the, you know, 
argument against my own point here, but I think it's it's more complicated, right? Like that happens, and then they they had the big move. They made the big move with Gordon, and then right away Murray gets hurt, and so I don't really know. Like Grant leaves for a bunch more money than anyone else and, was going to pay like, him to go to Detroit. Yeah, you right. Could, like could I think done the, that, I don't think you could. That's not on them. That doesn't feel like they could have done anything about. It's that. Un- unreasonable to do that, right? I think the only mistakes, the only mistakes that I can really find. I mean, some of it, like letting you know, Bull Bull, I, I threw that in there, like letting Hartenstein like, go, some of those stuff, but it's like, yeah. it's not really a needle mover. I think well, the Hart, biggest... Hartenstein, Hartenstein didn't even develop, like he had like a little run in Cleveland where he developed, then he goes to the Clippers and develops, now he's like, oh, it's Isaiah Hartenstein, but he like hadn't turned into that guy behind Jokic. And he gets in a hurt way a that, lot. Like, and he gets hurt a lot. Yeah. I And I hear you, right? Like, I don't think those are are, are the big the biggest needle movers, but I feel like the two the two real criticisms that I have of, of what's fallen out and left them with the roster they have, Giving MPJ a max made no sense, still makes no sense. And trading Beasley and Vanderbilt for basically nothing just to get off of salary. I know Vanderbilt wasn't yet what he is now, but he had the makings of that. You know, the draft nerds have always loved him. He's always been this toolsy athletic player. And Beasley's just a killer shooter that we just saw be a major piece four years later, uh, still at a trade deadline where he, he just still has that one skill and it is still very valuable. And all they basically get is cap relief and a backup center that they drafted. That's a, that one really screwed them. You know how great they'd be if they had Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt uh, in, in 2023 that we'd be like, okay, they're winning the title. It's over. Yeah. You know, they said one, so, had one of them and you'd feel like just better yeah, about it. Yeah. Just one of them. One well, of so them. those guys just, I hope they get traded together for the rest of their careers as yeah, a package. Just like deal. a buddy. Yeah. So Brennan, let me ask you this. We'll end on this. Uh, where would you have them in your West title contention sphere after all of this, after this whole conversation? I would have them second behind Phoenix. Yeah, I think I'm in the same spot. Um, I I don't think it's fair to discount what they've done for multiple seasons, but especially even the beginning of this season, just because they've had a slump here. And I do think with Murray, that is really what I feel that it is, is a slump. Um so they're still second, but even then they have some holes that we knew were always going to be there. And if you get the best version of some of these secondary contenders in the West, like Memphis, Dallas, Golden State, Clippers, I would, I could see, I don't, let me put it this way. I think the Suns would beat them. I think that I would pick them probably to beat any of the other teams, but I'm not, I don't think any of those series are going less than six games. It's not going to be easy for them to beat a lot of these teams because of the limitations that they have. And then you put yourself at risk of of an injury goes the wrong way, a game goes the wrong way, and all of a sudden you did lose. I think that's perfectly said as as an end cap pair. All right, thanks again for listening to the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for production. Uh, and look, baseball season's coming up. Go check out the Just Baseball show if you have not already. They're down covering the WBC in Miami. I mean, it looks like a ton of fun. And again, please subscribe. Give us five stars if you haven't already. Subscribe on YouTube. We'll be back later this week with another episode. We've got some fun guests planned as well. So like I said, I'm Chris. That's Brendan. Be well for this.